Good morning, everyone. Let me start by asking you a question. What's your only comfort in life and death? Now, that sounds like a big question, doesn't it? But it's a good question to ask. What is your only comfort in life and in death? In my first year here at being an intern at King's, that's the question my course leader, Jez, would always ask us. And if we got the very specific answer he had in mind, we would earn ourselves a very fluorescent branded notebook. I'll let you know what that very specific answer is later on. But it's something that I've been thinking about over this last year. Where do we go to for comfort? At the start of lockdown, in the middle of a time where it felt like I'd lost many things, it was a very happy moment to find out that Aldi now does dairy-free ice cream. Now that might not sound really great to any of you or some of you, but for someone who's lactose intolerant like me, this was very good news. But even though it was good, I found myself wanting to create perfect moments of rest and joy by eating this ice cream. And while it was nice, actually it didn't last. And it didn't truly comfort that sense of grief that I think we've all been feeling in a way over this season. Maybe for you, it doesn't look like eating ice cream for comfort like I did. Maybe you do loads of shopping on Amazon because you've been feeling quite depressed lately, or you visit certain websites because you crave intimacy. Or maybe it's spending loads of time on social media because actually you're feeling lonely or want to feel heard. I think we all know, really, that these things, though they promise the world, they never quite meet the mark, do they? Even with really good things like our families or relationships or our job, the security we desperately want to know isn't fully found in these things either even on the best of days. And you know, that dairy-free ice cream, it was delicious and my digestive system thanked me very much. But even when something tastes good or feels good, that doesn't equate true joy. It's been my experience that the deepest longings I have cannot be filled outside of relationship with God. The counterfeit beauty of the world, it pales in comparison to the true authentic beauty that exists in God. Any security and abundance outside of Jesus is simply an illusion. And that might sound really miserable, and I'm not here to tell you that you should throw away all your ice cream and cancel your Netflix. Though that might not be the worst of ideas. I'm simply just asking, if these things these things that we spend our energy on and our money on, do they actually satisfy us? That feeling we have inside of us for something more, if these things won't be enough, then what will? Well, that's what we're going to be looking at today. Come with me in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 55. If you don't have a Bible, it should come up on the screen. So just some background here, this is Isaiah the prophet, and he's writing at least 700 years before Jesus to the people of Israel. And he's writing what God is saying to his nation. And this is what God says. Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. 
and you who have no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread and your labour on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me and eat what is good and you will delight in the richest affair. Or the Amplified Version says, and let your soul delight in abundance. Give ear and come to me, listen that you may live. I will make an everlasting covenant with you, my faithful love promised to David. Do you notice how many times in that passage God says, come and listen? God is extending an invitation here. Today, we're going to look at three key questions. What is the invitation here? Who is this invitation for and what does it cost? So let's get into it. If we look a bit deeper here, we see there are two kinds of people, those who have no money and they're desperate, they're hungry and have nothing to eat. And we have those that have money, they just spend on things that don't satisfy. And whether you see yourself as desperate or not, actually the result is the same for both groups. The people that God invites are not satisfied. At this time, Isaiah is speaking to an Israel that's essentially living in rebellion against God, worshipping idols, oppressing the poor, and looking to everywhere but God for the provision and protection they need and desire. And yet, in the midst of Israel's unfaithfulness, we see God takes the initiative to work where the Israelites have failed and make a way for them to return to him. We see here the tender invitation to his people to just come back to him, to come and delight in his provision of the best quality, overflowing abundance. And it's not just water and bread, the bare necessities, but it's also milk and wine nourishment and delight. And while there's language of food and drink, this isn't simply an invitation to meet our physical needs, but to satisfy our whole beings with true life. God will meet our physical needs with real food and real things. We've seen that in the story of Elijah as we went through the well-being series, but there's something deeper that seems to be going on here. See how it moves from come to the waters in verse one to come to me in verse three. This is no longer a picture of material things, but a picture of God. So there's this promise, this invitation into God's presence, into his abundance and provision. But who is this invitation for? It's this ancient promise just for the Israelites that Isaiah was talking to. Well, this language of eating and drinking, it runs through to the New Testament. Jesus continues to mirror this passage, even with his first miracle, turning water to wine, showing us again that this isn't just about necessity, but it's also delight. In John chapter six, we hear Jesus making the same promises we see in Isaiah. And this is what he says. I am the bread of life. 
whoever comes to me, that phrase again, comes to me, will never go hungry. And whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. And so we get again this promise of never being thirsty and never being hungry. It's about coming to Jesus to eat. We come to him and to drink. We believe in him. And if Jesus is right, then he's the only real, true life-giving source, no one else. And he offers this invitation to anyone who accepts it. Through him, this invitation is not only for the Israelites, but to the world. That very well-known verse, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. And this invitation, this promise, is guaranteed by and accessed through the death and resurrection of Jesus. The promise of satisfaction in God, it comes with a guarantee both for now and forever. The exchange of believing and trusting in Jesus is not only joy and satisfaction, but life, or as he puts it, eternal life. This life, this passing over from dissatisfaction to contentment, from condemnation to acceptance before God, it spans much further than the now. I remember when I was a young teenager, there was the Sims video game that my sisters and I borrowed from a family friend. And we had to take turns in playing it. And of course, me being the youngest, I was the last and I had to wait for them both to finish playing before I did. And while I waited, all I could think about was playing this game. Like I knew we couldn't keep it forever. We had to give it back at some point. I just really wanted to play it. It might be hard to believe, but patience was not a strong character trait in my teenage years. But looking back now, that desire passed so quickly. I probably forgot about it like the next week or something. And it's funny how much of the time our strongest desire in the moment is not our deepest desire. It's rarely a desire that even lasts. And neither is the thing we grab for. And so if this inner ache within us won't be satisfied with things that don't last, then maybe that ache is designed to only be satisfied with something that lasts forever. And the life that God promises to our bodies and our souls is the gift of life now and resurrection, everlasting life in the future. And so this invitation to the world, to whoever is hungry and thirsty, it comes with a promise of true life, true comfort, both now and forever. But this amazing invitation of life, what does it cost? Well, it costs nothing, but it also costs everything. Maybe you picked up on it when we read that passage in Isaiah. You who have no money, come, buy and eat without money and without cost. Well, how do you buy something without money? Why does it cost to buy this bread? Well, what's interesting is that Isaiah prophesied about this as well, just two chapters before the one we read. 
Hundreds of years before the actual events, Isaiah speaks of someone who suffers for sins he did not commit. Someone who pays the price that we can never afford so that we can buy this bread. So that whoever accepts the invitation may experience now and hope for eternal life. And through the lens of the New Testament and history, we see this someone was God himself. The one who was the rich owner of the abundance on offer lays that down and becomes poor so that we, who are truly poor, who hunger and thirst, might be satisfied. The bread is paid for at the cross. It costs nothing because God paid everything. And yet, it will cost us something coming to this saviour. Submitting our whole life to him will mean we let go of whatever we've put in his place so that we can cling to Christ. Jesus says, deny yourself, pick up your cross and follow me. It sounds hard and it is, but I'm confident that those of us who are in a relationship with Jesus know that it's well worth that cost. As we saw, there were two groups of people addressed in this passage. Maybe you're like the first group and you're desperate, you're hungry. Well, this invitation is for you. If you know that nothing you're turning to is satisfying and maybe even now you feel something going on in your heart, God is working in you and inviting you to come. But he will give you a choice. The invitation is on offer for you to come, will you accept it? There'll be an opportunity later on to do just that in prayer. And for those of us who already know him, maybe you feel like that second group of people where you have money, you know Jesus, and that core emptiness has been filled in Christ, but are you finding your comfort in him? Or are there areas in your life where maybe you're holding on to counterfeits when you already have true life. The invitation is for you too. But be encouraged though, because the hope we have in Christ is that when we're faced with whatever it is that tempts us to lean on anything but him, by his spirit within us as believers, we have the ability to choose. We do not have to be a slave to whatever has a hold in us in this moment. And he is faithful to be with us every step of the way. And so daily we come to him and listen to him. Daily we let him impact our thoughts and our ways. Daily we trust that his ways and thoughts are higher than ours, that for our bodies and our souls, he knows better than we do what is best for us. This continued repentance, trust and surrender is what he calls us to. But remember, he also calls us to a banquet of abundance in our lives now than in the one to come. How tragic would it be if we who are invited to this amazing feast fail to come and eat? And so how do we come to him? Many times in that Isaiah passage, God says, listen. And we listen by hearing the word of God. There is no savior other than the one presented in the scriptures and he is met in his word and revealed by his spirit. 
God is eager and inviting us to draw near to him. He will never drive those who are in relationship with him away. It doesn't need to be complicated, so come. From hunger to food, from emptiness to joy, from momentary quick fixes to life that is truly life. Nothing can replace a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Compared to him, any other kind of bread is stale and any other water is bitter. So why would we go anywhere else? And so as we come into land, what is your only comfort in life and in death? The answer Jez would always be looking for is from the Heidelberg Catechism. It's a confessional text that originated in Germany in the 1500s, and it's been used by Christians around the world ever since. And I'll just read a little bit um, of the answer, but you're welcome to Google the rest after this meeting. What is your only comfort in life and in death? That I'm not my own, but belong with body and soul, both in life and in death, to my faithful saviour, Jesus Christ. And what a solid, trustworthy comfort he is. So whether this is the first time or not, the invitation is here for everyone to come to him today.